<laughs> yeah, hopefully this new carriage doesn't have any uh, uh, <laughs> any pictures of badges. Any pictures of semi-naked badges? Yeah, you have to get yeah. rid of that as That'll well. Be a huge yeah. scandal. It's Friday, April 21st, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Paul Peters, master student in civil engineering and non-alcoholic wine drinker. And with me uh, today is Gordon Derek, contributing editor at Dutch News and Dayglow politician skeptic. Yeah. You're um, a non-alcoholic wine drinker, just to emphasize. Not a non-alcoholic wine drinker, yes. 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 Because um, uh, what's been happening? Well, Omroep Brabant, the uh, <laughs> uh, local public broadcaster of uh, the province of Brabant, reported this week that one of the convents in the, in that province, I think Brabant is the only province with convents left, I think, yeah. um, they uh, reported that uh, this, uh, this uh, convent is producing wine, uh, but they had such a great summer last week, uh, last year. No, last not year, last week. yeah. Last, no, week, no, last week we did not have any kind of summer. <laughs> no, no, no summer <laughs> whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, last year the, the summer was so great that they have overproduced 64,000 bottles of wine, uh, which they have uh, no way of getting rid of. Uh, so they are desperately calling people to to buy a bottle of wine um, at these nuns because otherwise, uh, yeah, they re- it's 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 going to get wasted. And they had a very lovely article about uh, these <laughs> very nice nuns that are standing in their in their wineries. Apparently, um, they had to switch their uh, business model in 2012 because of the economic crisis back then. They were yeah. producing hop uh, until that time, uh, but they uh, yeah didn't. Bring in enough money so they switched to wine at that point and uh, now it's so successful that they are overproducing <laughs> uh, 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 the wine they did try to sell uh, the bottle of wines to KLM but they failed uh, to to strike a deal it, did, it um, didn't take off no, it didn't take no, off, unfortunately. No. Uh, KLM didn't have enough uh, 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 support from the Dutch uh, state, I think, uh, to spend uh, money on on wine. Um, so yeah, you can you can you can order one uh, a bottle. Uh, it costs fourteen euros fifty, so it's not cheap. Uh, mm-hmm. And I even see on the website that you can uh, uh, order uh, uh, order the wine from the UK. So they might have struck a deal with the uh, with the, with the customs uh, uh, officials. You can order uh, it, but the question is, they'll probably be you know another um, another 10 years before it actually gets to you through the port of dover and, uh, yes indeed yeah. uh but yeah that that, that uh, will only improve the quality of the wine i think that's so, true um, yeah yeah, yeah. The, that's uh, that's only a plus side mm-hmm. um so yeah these poor nuns with their sixty-four thousand bottles of wine uh, in osterhout uh, you, you can also go there if you want to buy a bottle or or a box of wine um but yeah, I wonder um, yeah. if it's any if it's any nice. Um, should be if it's nice, yeah. fifty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It should be. Yeah, yeah. But it is. Um, yeah, I- ironic that uh, the nuns are having such a hard time uh, getting people into the habit. Really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, and you have been play, paying close attention to um, the outfits and the, the latest fashion <laughs> among politicians, haven't you? Well, not been paying particularly close attention, but you can't really avoid it. It's been like sort of in, <laughs> literally, but burned onto my eyes. Yes, because <laughs> no, this is about Mark Rutte did a photo call at Rotterdam Harbour, and I just noticed this because Mark Rutte is one of those politicians, and this seems to be a thing particularly of uh, politicians kind of on the centre right who just can't resist an opportunity to go down to a building site and dress up in high visibility gear, and then 
prance around on camera. And, Which uh, other politicians are you uh, are you are you thinking of? Well, in one does sort of spring to mind. Um, I mean, Rutte is an amateur in this sense uh, because he's. Um, you know, unlike Boris Johnson, he didn't actually climb into a digger and then drive through a big wall with a slogan on it, which is how I think Johnson. How I seem to remember Johnson announced uh, his uh, his oven-ready Brexit deal. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but Rutte, yeah, but it just seems that this isn't the first time Rutte has been at, um, uh, photographed several times on building sites in protective gear. I mean, I have to say, I, 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 so, so I mentioned this on Twitter. I got a little bit of pushback from people who said just thought. I was trying to suggest he shouldn't be wearing safety gear on a building site. No, not at all. I think it's a very good thing that you know uh, that we don't, unlike some of these kind of um, architectural skeptic Twitter accounts, we don't actually sort of go around sort of wandering around building sites with absolutely no protective gear at all. That's really good. But just the fact that he cannot, he, he loves just having the opportunity to get dressed up and look as if some, he's somebody with a real job. I think yeah. that's a, a thing that the image he likes to project. Yeah. Um, but on the back of that, I, I discovered that the real champion of this is Matteo Salvini in Italy. Oh, really? There's a whole catalogue of Salvini's <laughs> Sal- Sal- Salvini's outfits, basically. Oh, he's dressed really? up as a fireman, he's dressed up as a policeman. <laughs> he also pointed out that unlike Rutter, who, who wears the white helmet, which apparently is for visitors, Salvini insists on wearing a yellow worker's helmet when oh, he goes to building okay. sites. So yeah, he, really yeah, is the, yeah. he really is the king of this. Um, yeah, th- th- that's yeah. what Rutter has to aspire to. But I thought it was quite amusing to see him. And also the fact that when he wore this outfit he seemed to become a lot more usually Ritter's fairly kind of like verbal and uh, you know um, and outspoken but he, he really kind of um, seems to wave his arms about a lot more when he's wearing high visibility gear almost as if he's like directing air traffic or something <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> but uh, but Matteo could fill the entire village people with himself that, uh, yes I, basically I, I he could just clone himself correctly. yeah yeah um, so. I also noticed that the king uh, was wearing a uh, high visibility jacket this week. Um, I am trying to look it up, but I can't really find it. But he also visited some place where you need to wear one, uh, apparently. So uh, yeah. yeah, he 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 can also um, uh, uh, walk in this fashion show uh, if there is ever ever one. And speaking of the king, we have a Patreon special in store uh, for everyone who is uh, uh, donating to our podcast. Um, we uh, will have we will release a crash course on how to celebrate King's Day which yeah. is uh, coming up uh, yeah. uh, next a, week a survivor's guide to King's Day basically. exactly yeah. a survivor's yeah. guide yeah. for King's Day for people who don't want to celebrate it but also people who want to celebrate it we can also give you a lot of tips and tricks and uh, the do's and the don'ts uh, on uh, on what to do on King's Day um, the, uh, I think the most important detail is King's Day is celebrated on uh, uh, April twenty seventh, yes. not April thirtieth. That's yeah. the that's the most important detail you have to remember. Yes, don't be a tourist. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and that brings us to uh, the uh, OPEF of the week. Um, I think. Um, Apart from Koningsdag, uh, there's another tradition uh, that's coming up, and that's the... uh, Yeah, around about this time of year, which is what, Paul? Uh, that is the Eurovision Song Contest, and that wouldn't be complete without Ophef. This year, there is uh, absolutely no shortage of it. Um, the musical event is hosted this year by the British city of Liverpool, uh, because last year's win in Ukraine is currently uh, otherwise engaged and mm. doesn't have time to uh, organise it themselves. No, um, and no they're, they're a bit they're a bit uh, distracted when they yeah by by being invaded they are by a Russia. A little bit distracted. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. Um, and the Dutch honor and glory will be defended this year by performers Mia Nicolai and Dion Cooper. 
If you uh, have never heard of them, uh, that's uh, yeah very Just plausible well. because uh, <laughs> no one else did. Um, they are virtually unknown. And this duo was selected by a group of five musical experts behind closed doors in a very... Um, yeah, I think it's almost a, a Dutch tradition, right? You just put some uh, some experts uh, behind closed doors, and then hopefully they will come out with a uh, with a, uh, a satisfactory solution. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's kind of very much like uh, the, the way that we form governments in this country. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, and and we're taking it just as serious. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and it takes just as long as well. And <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, no, not exactly. We will, as we will see uh, okay. uh, uh, later on. Um, this uh, group of experts have been selecting the Dutch entries like this for the past decade, uh, which culminated, of course, in uh, Duncan Lawrence winning the contest in 2019. So, uh, yeah, the entire country had put their faith and trust in the team's judgment. And on top of that, their song, Burning Daylight, was also written by Duncan Lawrence. Mm. So a recipe for success, you think, but that blind trust was shattered instantly after the first live performance by Mia and Dion two weeks ago in Madrid. Video showed they sang Burning Daylight completely off tune, um, but the duo blamed their poor performance on technical difficulties with their earplugs. But right. a sec yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but a second performance on Saturday, however, was just as bad, and people on social media now want to reinstall the old method of selecting the Dutch entry by voting in a national song contest. Uh, and others even suggested we should send someone else instead, uh, because yeah, they, they don't see any hope in. Um, uh, they don't have any hope that this will uh, that uh, uh, Dion and Mia will uh, uh, will <laughs> learn how to sing uh, in time. Um, on Thursday, mm. there was even more drama because Paling Sound singer and Eurovision commentator Jan Smit announced he will resign from the selection committee. He said he always has been against sending Dion and Mia to Liverpool and no longer wants to remain in the committee. He will, however, stay on as a commentator together with Cornel Maas who remains a member of the selection committee. So I think the Netherlands is the only country where the commentators have, you know, two-fifths a say in who is going to yeah. uh, perform in the Eurovision Song Contest. It's a very incestuous uh, group of people. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> um uh, there is there was a there's bonus opf uh, uh, though. I don't know if we have any time. I will yes, of course we have time. Yeah, of course we have time. time. Yeah. Yeah. There is a little bit of bonus opf though because it uh, came out that uh, Mia had uh, posted a, on on Instagram a very mysterious post 6 months ago. She said uh, in 6 months uh, there is a, a very uh, a special project coming up um that was 2 days after the um, uh, auditions for the Eurovision uh, entries were opened um, and yeah turns out that uh, six months later she was uh, going to be uh, uh, going to perform in the Eurovision Song Contest and it's now suggested that um, it might have been Duncan Lawrence who have pushed uh, 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 sending them to Liverpool and that um, the whole audition thing is uh, is an enormous scam and Mm, nice. A lot of people have wasted their time uh, 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 sending in their songs and writing their own songs. So um, another yeah. uh, level I'm, of drama. I'm shocked, in the shocked whole... to hear that the selection process for Eurovision <laughs> is in some way rigged. So <laughs> yeah. The exactly. next thing we're telling there's something that as we're telling me that all the votes are political. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, singing off tune sounds like something uh, that is very welcomed at the Eurovision because I can say yes, um, yeah, yeah, surely yeah, every that, 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 that's uh, again something that's uh, yeah just kind of standard uh, yeah standard practice. Yeah, indeed. So we'll see uh, what is going to happen and if um, uh, yeah everything is going to be all right. Who knows. 
A new week, a new crisis caused by badgers. MPs fire a barrage of criticism on the government's 25 billion fund to tackle the nitrogen crisis, while the agriculture agreement talks are on the verge of collapse. Tens of thousands are fleeing the larger Amsterdam area because of drunk British tourists and high rent prices. You should prepare again for terrible queues at Schiphol Airport. Russia is spying on Dutch underwater infrastructure too. And we can expect both Elon Musk and Russia to spy on DART scientists of the <laughs> Delft Technical University. They certainly can aim a lot straighter than uh, the Russian artillery. And they are more successful in keeping objects uh, in the air without yes. exploding them. Yeah. Plans to house 800 refugees at a purpose-built facility in Gelderland to become the latest victim of the latest scourge of the Dutch countryside. No, not Nitrogen Minister Christiana van der Waal this time, but badgers. <laughs> Three badger sets have been discovered near the site in Malden, and because they're a protected species, the whole plan has been undermined. Literally. Asylum Minister Eric van der Burg added fuel to the fire this week when he mistakenly said in Parliament that three badgers, rather than three habitats, were jeopardising his hopes mm -hmm. of finding accommodation for 800 people, which of course has been tied up in all kinds of other problems as well. Badgers also disrupted the rail network in recent weeks after they set up home in the polders below the train tracks, which disrupted NS and ProRail, and in Nord-Brabant, the discovery of a set has held up plans to build 144 temporary homes in Schijndel. The provincial government can give special dispensation to rehouse the badgers, but only once a thorough environmental assessment has taken place, which means endless <laughs> meetings, reports and cups of coffee. And a spokesman for the Refugee Accommodations Agency, COR, said it was unclear how long the investigation in Malden would take. Yes, and that's uh, not the only headache for the COA, right? No, uh, it's uh, just uh, yeah, the latest on a very high pile. The COR is facing a shortfall of 38,000 beds this summer, um, yeah. unless it can find emergency accommodation quickly. And, of course, as Eric van der Burg has been finding out, local authorities aren't really that keen on um, uh, housing uh, asylum seekers uh, in, their, uh, in, in, their, in their municipal area. They all kind of pass the buck between each other. Van der Burg has also now got, um, uh, finally, I think, passed a law which allows him to, uh, to basically select facilities in municipalities and go over the council's head. But there's still a huge backlog, basically, and we're potentially facing a repeat of the harrowing scenes last year when hundreds of refugees slept on the grass outside to Apple, the main reception centre. Uh, others were shuttled around around the country by bus throughout the night and of course a baby died while sleeping in a sports hall which was being used as a makeshift uh, accommodation facility into Apple. Nobody wants that obviously um, but uh, yeah, local councils have been imposing very tight restrictions um, on accommodation asylum seekers so Home and Local Council which is uh, in charge uh, of the um, facility in Malden says it will have to close on December the 1st um, and uh, it's due to open on June the 1st but that's looking increasingly unlikely and environmental research group EcoResults says the badger sets will have to be checked in the spring but also in the autumn so mm -hmm. big yeah. question marks basically yeah, big question yeah. marks and yeah. that law you refer to uh, is not yet uh, well, still uh, not passed through by no, the no, no. it's submitted yeah. but it still has to be debated and yeah, um, yeah especially the VVD party uh, Van den Burg's own party is uh, is opposed to that law um, yeah. and Mark Rutte has promised to um, 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 uh, do more in Europe to uh, prevent uh, asylum seekers from entering Europe and the Netherlands in exchange for their support. But it still needs to pass. And um, yeah, it was supposed to 
half past uh, yeah months ago. So well, um, back in the autumn, yeah. And so yeah. one of the concessions that Van de Berg gave to his own party, the VVD, was to say that he'd put a temporary stop to family reunion, but of course that's been thrown out now by the courts. So yeah. even before he's actually got the law passed, he's already had to row back on um, yeah on, on his concessions. Yes, um, and this all comes in at a time when concerns are being raised about the number of unaccompanied children arriving as refugees, right? Yes, this is kind of a curious uh, thing. The Immigration Service END published figures this week uh, showing a record number of child refugees came to the Netherlands in 2022, uh, more than 4,200 altogether. Now, it's almost twice as many as the previous year, although we should say that uh, there were fewer refugees uh, in 2021 because of coronavirus, so travel restrictions. Mm. So that kind of distorts the figures a little bit. But nevertheless, it is the highest number of child refugees in a single year. The END's head of asylum, Jesper Holkendorn, recently told a parliament hearing that he believed families were sending children on ahead on their own because unaccompanied minors have more rights um, and then once they're established in the country their families can go and join them among other things are exempted from the Dublin regulation which is the rule that says that refugees Mm. who arrive in the European Union have to claim asylum in the first country they set foot in Uh, but Hawkadorn also said he didn't actually have any scientific evidence for this Um, he also insisted he wasn't calling for children's rights to be withdrawn but we should just be aware of the risks so quite exactly what he was saying was kind of a bit of a mystery um, really um, you, but this was picked up by the Dutch media who immediately sort of said this is an, uh, portrayed this as an authoritative statement that families were doing this sending ch- children alone on ahead to claim asylum on their behalf even though there's no actual evidence for it youth organisation Defence for Children on the other hand said the increasing numbers of children are living illegally in the Netherlands now because um, back during the second Rutte cabinet uh, which uh, between uh, 2012 and 2017, there was an amnesty uh, for 500 children that had been in the country for so long, waiting for their claims to be processed, they were effectively naturalised and therefore they agreed to let them stay permanently. But the quid pro quo for that was they were supposed to then not um, uh, not taking any, any other, or, or do, they're supposed to ensure that all in future all um, asylum claims for children would be processed much faster. But that hasn't really happened. And the problem that Defence for Children have highlighted is, is that while that hasn't happened, there's no actual arrangement being put in place for them. So they're just kind of left in limbo. And there's a growing number of child refugees now whose cases haven't been sorted. And they say the sword of Damocles is hanging over their heads every day. Yeah, and this is all um, comes on top of that other backlog of uh, of of uh, um, uh, 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 yeah adult uh, refugees that have requested asylum in the Netherlands. And um, yeah, I think that Apple should uh, prepare itself for yeah similar situations as we've seen in in the summer because I don't know how else uh, how the government is going to um, yeah prevent that uh, because yeah there is there, there are simply no accommodations available to house all these uh, thousands of refugees that are coming in yeah and there's zero chance of getting this sorted out uh, before the summer and of course during the summer months more refugees arrive because of yeah. the better weather um, and Mark Rutter said I think last week that he can't guarantee a rep- that there won't be a repeat of last no. year's scenes which kind of sounds like he's expecting that there very well might be so yeah. Uh, it's yeah. not looking good which is really inexcusable if there is a repeat yeah. of that because you know we've had i mean last year it was already inexcusable but now we had a year to to prepare for for this uh the 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 whole 
the 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 sort of the 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 problem that's that's underlying the underlying problem uh, is of course the housing crisis and not enough not enough houses available to accommodate everyone who is granted asylum here so they have to stay in the regular asylum uh, seeker centers and that means that new arrivals can't uh, don't have any place to 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 go um, outside the grass field of Terrapol. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, that has been hasn't been resolved uh, in the past year. So um, yeah, we can definitely expect a repeat of that. And as I said, it is really inexcusable because you know we 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 literally have seen this coming from from a year ago. So um, yeah, yeah, yeah. If not longer, if yeah. not longer. The Telegraaf newspaper reported this week that the talks on the agriculture agreement is on the verge of collapse. Following last year's advice of uh, Mr. Stikstof, Johan Remkes, farmers, environmental groups, government officials, supermarkets and other interest groups have sat around the table to work out a vision for the future of agriculture in the Netherlands. Basically, if you haven't been invited uh, as, a, as a person living yeah. in the Netherlands to these talks, then uh, yes, there is something definitely wrong with you. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. you always should just set up your own farmer's lobby organization and yeah. uh, get yourself <laughs> and invite. invited. Yeah, yeah. 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 All, these, all these, I mean, we've seen so many agreements in in the past, right? Uh, the the pension agreement, uh, the yeah. climate agreement, and uh, now this agreement. Endless talks, endless, uh, yeah, uh, as you said, uh, uh, cups of coffee with tiny bi- biscuits. <laughs> um, uh, uh, m- maybe we should invest in in, in whoever produces uh, these tiny biscuits. Because, yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, the, the, will, uh, they must be doing a roaring trade, got to say. Yeah, I think yeah. so too. So many of these meetings. Um, so these talks have been going on for a year now and progress has been slow and the initial plan to have an agreement was in March, uh, but that has failed and there are still uh, wide divisions on crucial issues such as how to deal with manure and pesticides, nitrogen emissions which the government wants to reduce by half in 2030 or 2035, that's still unclear, also remains an issue. Negotiators confirmed the slow progress of the talks, but denied they are on the verge of collapse. Farmer lobby groups and unions saw their negotiation position improve following the big win of pro-farmers party BBB in the recent provincial elections, and are now starting to become impatient and demand an agreement in the week of May 8th. Agriculture Minister Piet Adema cannot promise an agreement will be reached uh, in four weeks, but he did say that he is very motivated to do so. Well, that's encouraging, isn't it? Yeah. 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 So it's so kind of ironic that uh, the farmers' lobbyists, after dragging out this issue for literally <laughs> yeah. years since the, um, uh, the Council of State judgment, which was back in 2019 now, suddenly now pop up and say, oh, we want an agreement within two weeks. Yeah. yeah. And uh, there's also been a debate in the Trader Karma about uh, the Cabinet's uh, yeah, 24 billion package, uh, which is supposed to go a long way to sorting out the nitrogen crisis, right? Yeah, and and this plan has come under fire from basically all sides, uh, Mm. both coalition parties and opposition parties, and uh, left and right. Uh, The cabinet wants to invest a total of 24 billion euros in measures to reduce nitrogen compound emissions. Nitrogen compound emissions, we have to always emphasize, because otherwise Van Haga will say that nitrogen uh, is uh, one of the most common gases in 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 uh, in the air which is true but this is th- we're not talking about the, the, the gas most common in gas the in the atmosphere in fact uh, yes, literally yeah. the most common yes indeed uh, yeah. but we're not talking about uh, th- that type of nitrogen but nitrogen compounds no. um, and uh, that 24 billion is going to be spent for example by buying out farmers near nature areas and uh, also supporting others who choose to downsize or adopt more environmentally friendly methods 
Opposition parties from both sides agreed that the cabinet doesn't have a clear plan on how to spend the 24 billion euros. And they said the cabinet is basically asking parliament to sign a blank check. Uh, BBB, which only has one seat in the lower house, but will have one fifth of the Senate seats, uh, predicted the government is going to waste billions. Uh, BBB also wants the deadline of 2030 to be pushed by pushed to 2035, which is supported by coalition partner CDA, who has recently said they want to renegotiate the coalition agreement on this point. Uh, but two weeks ago, the coalition agreed uh, that CDA will wait for several outcomes uh, before they will formally request this re- renegotiation. And um, these uh, outcomes uh, include the formation of new provincial coalitions and the outcome of the agriculture agreement. But given that Baby Bay has won all 12 prov- provincial elections and are currently in the race of forming a uh, coalition in all these provinces. It is likely that um, these outcomes, these uh, coalitions will go in their favor. Yeah, which will, um, not, which will not be good for the cabinet and actually make the whole process of coming to an agricultural agreement a lot more complicated. Yeah, yeah and, yeah, and this agricultural agreement is on the verge of collapse, apparently, and I yeah. don't know what they plan to do if this agricultural agreement isn't, isn't reached. Uh, um, uh, but, yeah, we... Uh, but imagine that if Johan Rimkus has switched off his mobile phone in anticipation. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I think so, too, yes. Um, and center-left parties GroenLinks and PvdA, who will form a joint faction in the Senate, said they will vote against the fund if the deadline is pushed. So, uh, yeah, they leave no room uh, f- uh, for negotiations on that uh, in that regard. Um, yeah. but so yeah, they are kind of uh, caught between a rock and a hard place, really. I mean, and when yeah. you look at the makeup of the new Senate, potentially uh, the baby, the baby the, the baby will hold kind of um, the balance of power in the sense that the coalition have a much smaller mi- uh, minority. They already don't have a majority in the Senate, but they'll have even fewer seats after the end of May. Um, so the BBB will be leaning on them to uh, make concessions in order to get uh, get their votes. Um, and possibly Khun Links and PFDR may be able to just about push them to minority majority, uh, perhaps with the addition of uh, the Folk Party or another very small party. But again, they've, they've, yeah, they're basically being pulled in completely opposite directions, right? Pefediakun links uh, want much stricter environmental measures and a hard deadline in 2030, and they're kind of being supported in the, within the coalition by Dezes and Zestach. But on the other side, the BBB want uh, the deadline of 2030 for cutting nitrogen emissions to be pushed back to 2035, and that's favoured by the CDR. So it, it just seems to be completely intractable. Yeah, yeah, and this would all be uh, difficult enough if uh, this disagreement uh, wasn't also occurring within the coalition itself, right? So yeah, uh, there it is, CDA versus uh, D66 uh, on this issue. So yeah, a lot of headaches and nitrogen issue. It needs to be resolved if we also want to resolve the housing crisis because you know houses cannot be built building yeah. projects are put on hold because they emit too much nitrogen and uh, if that isn't resolved then we also remain uh, we also um, keep having this uh, uh, asylum uh, uh, seeker uh, yeah this crisis. refugee crisis yes because yeah. there's nowhere to house the refugees so no. yeah there's a huge massive snowball effect so not surprisingly the kind of general sentiment the mood in the country isn't all that positive at the moment <laughs> uh, no. we, we, we learnt this week in well, shocking, unshocking news of the day 
Yes, well, <laughs> the, it is. It's always very interesting because the uh, Social Cultural Plan Bureau, the government socio-economic think tank, uh, has published a report which says that the number of people who think society is heading in the wrong direction has increased from 46% in the spring of this of last year to 62% uh, of people in the autumn. So, within a span of six months, this this number has uh, uh, increased by uh, uh, 16 percent points. Um, and people worry about politics, high prices, immigration, the shortage of housing, climate action. Also, the nitrogen crisis contributed to the negative mood. And only 43% has confidence in parliament and 41% in the government. And these uh, this, these trust uh, percentages uh, were f- around 50% earlier in the year. So trust is decreasing in, 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 in politics. But because people say politicians lack decisiveness and vision when it comes to solving all these problems, and they also feel that all the problems keep getting accumulated, right? Is we have one problem mm. and another one emerges and another one emerges without the other ones be the old ones being solved. So, um, yeah, people are discontent with with politics, uh, both parliament and the government, and uh, they also have lack uh, trust in 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 other institutions. But and here comes the interesting thing. 85% of people say they are satisfied with their own lives. So this is the classic, uh, it, it's, it's going bad with everyone else, but I'm doing yeah. okay. Yeah, the country's doing badly, but I'm all right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which, is, which, is the outcome, which is always the outcome of these sort of uh, studies. Um, yeah. Even though it has to be said that the uh, distrust in, poli- uh, in, in politics is, is uh, yeah, uh, unprecedentedly low, yeah. I think. It's a kind of all-time low, yeah. Yeah. Another group of people who are disgruntled are people living in Amsterdam, particularly <laughs> families, young families in their 30s who are and moving out. people who out. don't like pancakes with Nutella, I think. Yes, exactly. Yeah. They don't like pancakes with Nutella or um, drunken tourists uh, falling asleep on their doorsteps. Yeah. <laughs> um, but people in their 30s are moving out of Amsterdam in search of bigger houses, nicer neighbourhoods and friendlier people. Uh, according oh. to a report into Life in the Capital that was published this week by Rabobank. Uh, the population of the city did grow last year by 38,000, although nearly ha- more than half of that uh, came from the incorporation of the satellite town of Vesp, which has a population oh. of 20,000. But the rest of the growth was mainly down to people from outside the Netherlands moving in, Rabobank said. Within the Netherlands, more people moved from Amsterdam into the provinces than in the opposite direction. And altogether, 74,000 people left the greater Amsterdam region. So, drunken British tourists aside, what else is driving Amsterdam out of their city? Uh, housing costs, primarily. It's just mm. far, become far too expensive to live in. Um, uh, only international workers now really are prepared to pay the sky-high rents and mortgages to live in the city. Dutch people increasingly are not, uh, especially when they start families and they need more space, which is very much at a premium in Amsterdam, um, and they can't find anything suitable. Eric Fasnell, director of Rabobank Amsterdam, said we don't want to end up with a city for elderly rich people. And he said that um, uh, although uh, 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 yeah, although more houses need to be built, essentially uh, what's needed is an accessible and affordable housing market. And the research shows it's not just a question of building more and more homes. And uh, apparently it's not just the locals who aren't happy with the way the city is going, right? 
No, um, NHS Hotels this week uh, with the latest company to uh, voice their objection to the proposals for a multi-storey erotic centre <laughs> uh, to replace the red light district. Now, uh, uh, yeah, to, to, to recap on uh, previous podcasts, uh, there are two proposed sites for this, basically one in the north of the city, one in the south. The south one is near the Zaudas Business District. And for some reason, uh, large businesses uh, think that um, uh, a, a mega brothel on their doorstep would be bad for business. Um, although possibly haven't consulted uh, all of their uh, all, all, of, uh, all of their workers on this, um, the operational director of NH Hotels, Walter Koch, which is a supremely <laughs> appropriate name, said the Enhau Hotel near the Zaudas district was a luxury hotel that was targeted at people travelling to congresses and uh, blue chip customers, and basically doesn't want sex tourists filling his 650 hotel rooms. The hotel officially opened in February 2020. It sort of won a tender to um, yeah to to, 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 for, uh, to build a high-end hotel uh, for business travellers but um, it had to close after a month because of coronavirus uh, mm. it had a second opening in 2021 but now it fears that being located next to the uh, multi-story mega brothel will perhaps damage its image NH Hotels haven't said how much compensation they'll be seeking um, I can't think of what might be an appropriate figure but uh, <laughs> 69,000 69, uh, euros yeah, yeah exactly yeah. um <laughs> I don't think sex tourists are the typical clientele of luxury hotels. Uh, <laughs> Not of luxury hotels, no. Yeah, no. they usually the, uh, sleep in the more cheaper options. Yeah. Um, and but I sort of yeah. thought the business districts and um, you know and uh, high grade prostitution sort of were you know um, uh, quite uh, close bedfellows historically. But yeah. uh, <laughs> perhaps that's a scurrilous rumor. Yes. Yeah, and, and you don't want uh, anyone uh, starting to uh, associate your hotel located in Amsterdam with prostitution and with no. drug tourism. Yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, yeah where, ridiculous. where did they get that idea from? Yeah, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> If you appreciate our efforts to explain what's going on in the Netherlands outside the world of mega brothels and cannabis cafes, why not become a sponsor of the Dutch News Podcast on Patreon? It does cost us uh, time and money to keep making these podcasts and uh, illuminating what's going on in the world of uh, Dutch politics and society, and you can support us for as little as a euro or a dollar or a pound a month. Your donations are very much appreciated and uh, really do help us uh, to keep um, making sure that we can put in the hours and doing the research to make these podcasts as informative as possible. All new patients will get a free shout out on the podcast uh, and the chance to ask us a question. This week we welcome one new patron, Lana Yekas Santos. So thank you very much uh, to, indeed to you. Thank um, you. For your support. If you'd like to become a sponsor of the Dutch News Podcast, you can log on to our Patreon page at www.patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Dutch News NL. And if you can afford uh, a bottle of overexpensive uh, non-wine, you can also uh, support us on, uh, on Patreon, I think. <laughs> or why not both? You can drink your non-wine while listening to the podcast, which <laughs> may, make it, uh, may make them both a little more palatable. <laughs> Travelers could again face problems at Schiphol Airport from the end of this week as the May holidays start and ground crew and baggage handlers are threatening with wildcat strikes for more staff and better pay. While pay rises and bonuses have helped to end the shortage of security staff, baggage personnel and others who work behind the scenes are experiencing mounting problems. Last year, Schiphol was beset by staffing problems leading to strikes and cancellations, basically from May to the uh, end of summer, right? Uh, there yeah. were queues and there were cancellations. 
cancellations and delays. It was uh, it was just awful. Yeah, and just general shortages of um, everything. Everything, border guards, baggage handling staff, everybody. Yeah. Uh, the unions themselves uh, said they will not organize strikes as part of an agreement reached last year, but they cannot rule out wildcat strikes after how effective they were last year. <laughs> yeah. Schiphol expects to handle 66,000 travelers a day this May. That's around 8,000 more than the same period last year. Meanwhile, travel agents have called for the May holiday to become an official two-week break, given the number of schools which now close their doors for a fortnight. Officially, the May half-term is a week, but schools have the option of adding more days because of the number of holidays which occur around this time. The official break this year is April 29th to May 7. And Frank Oostam of travel agency lobby group ANVR told news website Nu.nl that if King's Day on April 27th was also included uh, in the May break, parents would not have to take so many days off work to cover for school closures. And in return, the summer break, which already feels too long to some parents, could be made shorter, he said. And there is more news coming from Schiphol. This uh, just came out. Several thousands of people living near Schiphol can apply to receive compensation for the nuisance they experience with air traffic flying over their heads. People who live in the municipalities of Uithoorn, Haarlemmermeer, Aalsmeer and Amstelveen might be eligible for the compensation. Schiphol has already calculated that 46,000 street addresses in total can uh, can get compensation, which ranges from 50 euros to 2,200 euros. So uh, they might um, prepare for a lot of court cases, I think. Uh, yeah, or certainly from the people who only get 50 euros. I yeah. Mean, <laughs> if you're entitled to compensation for being kept awake by planes flying over your head, I can't really think that people will be satisfied with 50 euros which barely buys you a cucumber these days yeah exactly so there's now compensation for people from uh, Kroninger who've been disrupted by earthquakes there's compensation for people living near Schiphol who've been disrupted by planes they're getting to the point where basically everybody in the Netherlands will be entitled to some form of compensation for the government making their lives miserable I'm just looking forward to the compensation I get for listening to Mia and Dion at the Eurovision Song exactly, Contest yeah. Yeah. there's definitely compensation for that and compensation for people in like Almere as well just for the fact they live in Almere <laughs> General Jan Swillens, who is the head of the Dutch military intelligence agency, confirmed Russia has an extensive program aimed at sabotaging offshore wind farms, gas pipelines and power and communication cables in the North Sea. The statement came ahead of a documentary by Scandinavian public broadcasters about a Russian spy ship disguised as a research vessel. Swillens told RTL News Russia does not have one ship, but an entire program designed to map the European underwater infrastructure with the likely aim to disrupt them. And many of these underwater cables and pipelines come ashore in the Netherlands, so yeah, the MFD is uh, keeping a, a very keen eye on them and uh, they remain on high alert for suspicious activities. And a few months ago, the MFD announced the Dutch Navy chased a Russian ship away from a Dutch wind farm. Swillens calls for an international response to the Russian espionage team and his call is joined by several MPs. Yeah, and there's an amazing footage that we saw this week from uh, a Danish broadcaster who, who followed this Russian ship that had been chased out to Dutch waters they spot they tracked it and they went out on a little boat of their own to see what these Russians were up to and officially this was a fishing vessel right but when they actually yeah. um, drew up beside this Russian fishing boat and uh, started filming uh, a man appeared on the deck with a machine gun and a, and a balaclava 
which sort of gave away the fact that this wasn't actually a fishing vessel unless he was planning to shoot the fish in the sea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, knowing the Russians, they were probably thinking they were spying on the Japanese in the North Sea, but that's, yeah. a, that's a different story. That's a different story, indeed. But speaking of military things, um, there's uh, been some more equipment uh, from the Netherlands and Denmark to Ukraine this week. Yes, uh, the Netherlands and Denmark will uh, together buy and refer with 14 Leopard 2A4 tanks and then donate them to Ukraine. The Defense Ministry announced uh, on Thursday uh, the tanks will be ready early next year and Denmark and the Netherlands will also uh, look for other areas where joint procurement can support Ukraine. Uh, the cost of 165 million euros will be equally divided between the two countries and the Ministry has said they will keep the bulletin and submit it to mm. the European Union because they expect uh, half of their money will be reimbursed by the European Peace Facility scheme. Yeah. So we look forward to the Dutch government starting a fight with the European Peace Facility. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, or knowing uh, Dutch ministries, they will lose the bonnet, yeah, and uh, yes. yeah, there will be a whole scandal surrounding this. Yeah, and three ministers will resign. Yeah. <laughs> Defence Minister Kaisa Ollongren has said last week she wants to uh, be more transparent about Dutch military aid to Ukraine. Uh, the ministry has published uh, a large infographic uh, with all the uh, support the Netherlands has sent to Ukraine in the past year, and uh, this uh, comes on top of 18 Leopard 1 tanks, I think, the Netherlands has bought um, yeah. with the aim to sending it to Ukraine. And speaking of aid to Ukraine, um, there's been some ophef about the newly appointed Dutch special envoy. <laughs> yes, uh, he was. Uh, this is great, Opef. He was installed two and a half weeks ago, uh, and he's already fired. Uh, uh, Ron van Dartel was appointed as special envoy for business and reconstruction of Ukraine by the Foreign Affairs Ministry, and he was tasked with finding ways how the Netherlands can help Ukraine with rebuilding its devastated cities after the war. Van Dartel yeah, has a long diplomatic career. He has served as the Dutch ambassador in Russia and he has come out of retirement, especially for this post. But uh, this week a book was published with an interview with him. And uh, in this interview, he has said that Ukrainians are also Russians and we should not forget that. And, oh dear. Uh, he also added that the West <laughs> is very naive about Russia. So yeah, very painful comments Mm. on Russia um, uh, uh, bordering pro-Russian comments uh, I have to say well, you and say minist- bordering but uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> we know how, how uh, lenient Russia is with borders so uh, yeah, yes it's, uh, the foreign affairs ministry has said they were f- unaware of the statements which were made after his retirement from the diplomatic service and before his new appointment. Uh, but yeah, these comments are reason enough uh, for Van Dertel to uh, realize that uh, he can no longer function credibly after the, these statements and he has quit. Uh, so no. um, yeah, they will have to find another rebuilder in chief for uh, Ukraine. Yeah, again, I, I guess that Johan Remkes has his mobile phone firmly switched off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And then there was a photograph of him standing next to Vladimir Putin, wasn't, wasn't yeah. there? It was uh, looking quite comfortable. So that was a bit of a full start for the uh, yes. uh, for, yes. for the special envoy. And speaking of, uh, of, of awkward photos, there is also a famous photo of uh, King Willem-Alexander at the yeah. uh, Winter Olympics of 20... When was it? 14? Yes. Raising a glass of Heineken beer with the uh, Russian president, Vladimir Putin, uh, which has yeah haunted him ever since, because two weeks later, uh, I think, or less than two weeks later, Russia invaded Ukraine. But there's good news for Heineken in Russia, because uh, it was announced this week that they've actually managed to triple their profits <laughs> yeah. um, from the sales of uh, Russia, even though last year they announced that they were going to pull 
out of the country and dispose of all their assets. Now, they have asked regulators in the Russian Federation to approve the sale um, of their business. Heineken has uh, said that uh, it will take a, a loss of about 300 million euros uh, when it exits Russia, although even that is um, not entirely level because uh, that's really just about uh, the write down of their assets, which have obviously declined in value yeah. since uh, Russia uh, took it upon itself to, to invade Ukraine. But yes, Heineken gave a trading update this week uh, in which, uh, yeah, uh, said its operating profit will increase by a mid to high single digit percentage. So yeah. they haven't said who is buying the assets, uh, but they will release further details if and when they've received regulatory approval. Yeah. Not yeah. a good look uh, by Heineken. Not a great look, no. no. Yeah. Because remember, they came out this big fanfare um, early on during the war that they were going to dispose of their assets in Russia. Yeah. 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 They meant that they were going to sell all their assets <laughs> yeah. in Russia uh, rather than just pulling out altogether, as uh, a number of Western companies has done. They just, you know, uh, gave up and, uh, and, and left the country. Uh, and Heineken really didn't want to do that um and hopefully yeah. they will not leave with sixty-four thousand bottles of uh, russian wine <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah or, or vodka but of course there was a big row about this um back a couple of months ago when heineken uh, had to withdraw a statement where they said that heineken russia was a completely independent operation now and admitted that decisions about the company were still being made at headquarters in amsterdam hmm. um so they've quoted like an impairment loss or reduction in market value of 88 million euros. So they won't lose the whole 300 million um, euros when they sell the business. Sports news now, and Dutch rocket scientists have been fine-tuning the technique of very short but highly lucrative flights, specifically <laughs> over a distance of 2 metres and 37 centimetres from the Oki to the dartboard. A team at Delft University claims to have invented a super dart that's 50% more accurate using aerospace engineering techniques. In the words of Dan Brechmann of the Sports Engineering Institute, it's a fantastic combination of darts and rocket science. <laughs> Usually darts isn't, isn't too much of rocket science. Just, darts uh, is very rarely confused with rocket science, I have to yeah. say, but uh, on this occasion it, it seems to have been a happy marriage. The Dutch media went into raptures over the revolutionary darts, and uh, they called it a klapschats moment for the sport. <laughs> Can you explain that a little bit? Right now we've got to explain what the klapschats <laughs> is, of course, yes, because uh, the, in speed skating, uh, I think in the 1990s, uh, somebody invented a type of skate uh, which had sort of a hinge in it, so the, the actual yeah, skate, the front, when you lifted your yeah. foot, the, the skate stayed on the ground, and that meant because the skate, the actual blade of the skate was uh, in contact with the ground for longer, you could skate faster. Um, so that was called a klapschat because every time he took a stride, the hinge would snap shut. And make a clap noise. Yeah. Make a kind of clapping noise. Exactly. How many people uh, living around Tiof Stadium were granted compensation for the increased noise? Exactly. Yeah, increased, the increased nuisance caused by the noise of klapschats. Yeah. And, yeah. So that was a very sort of Dutch reference point um, for these uh, new revolutionary darts. Uh, the top Dutch darts players, because remember the Netherlands has um, some of the world's best darts players these days, were invited to road test the darts and they were fairly complimentary too although kind of cautious. The five times world champion, Raymond von Barneveld, who is currently 30th in the world and trying to kind of, kind of climb back up the ladder, he declared that the future of darts after he hit a treble 20 with his first throw. <laughs> Michael von Gerven, he said it was nice and innovative, but also said it felt strange and uncomfortable to throw. Aha. Uh -huh. And how exactly are the new darts different from regular arrows? This is a funny thing. The design of darts hasn't really changed an awful lot, even though you know, aerodynamics has advanced quite a lot in recent years. And that was kind of why the Sports Engineering Institute got in interested to see if there were possible technical improvements by just applying science to this sport, where, as they said, the, the only real variables in darts are the thrower, the dart itself, and the air that it flies through. So 
they built a robot that um, could throw darts at the board and mimic uh, the throwing action of uh, human darts players, including some minor imperfections in technique. So if people didn't quite throw the dart quite straight, what effect would that have on the flight of the dart? And they discovered um, that uh, by using uh, more aerodynamic uh, types of darts, that these, the wobble in the air when you don't throw the dart absolutely pin straight uh, was reduced by about 50%. Now, mm. these new darts have longer flights or tail feathers. They have tiny indentations on the shaft and also just a better weight distribution. And the darts also have a narrower tip, which helps because that means you can cluster the darts more tightly in a it's bored, so in that sort of famous kind of little, tiny little envelope for the treble 20 that all darts players are aiming for. And that reduces the risk of darts bouncing out if they hit each other or mm. hit the wire on the, on the frame of the board. And crucially as well, these darts comply with the Professional Darts Council specifications, so potentially they could be used in competition straight away. Oh. Developer Michiel von Nesselroy said, players have the freedom to choose their own darts, and so the performance of the dart can make a big difference. So, so yeah, it's a, so it can immediately revolutionize darts. Yeah, yeah, basically. And that's been a uh, home success in, in cycling, wasn't there? Yes, uh, we previewed the Amstel Gold Race uh, last week from uh, Maastricht to Falkenburg, one of the, uh, yeah, the highlights of the Dutch cycling calendar. Uh, to nobody's surprise, uh, Tadej Pojaka cruised away from the field in the men's race, but in the women's race, it looks like the Dutch may have found a successor to uh, Annemiek van Floten. Demi Follering uh, started as favourite and won after striking for the line with 1,500 metres to go. And she's followed it up with another victory in uh, La Fleche Vallon, or the Valse Pale, on Wednesday, oh. uh, a race in Belgium. And on Sunday, she'll have a chance to complete the set of uh, the three Ardennes classics, as they're called, when she rides in Liège-Bastogne-Liège. If she does that, she'll uh, become only the second woman to win all three races after another Dutch rider, Anna van der Brechen, in 2017. Hmm. It's uh, strange to hear these uh, the names of these uh, races in, in French, yeah. uh, which is more appropriate, I think, because they are all... Yeah, race in Malone. Uh, but yeah, we uh, we always use the Dutch names. Uh, yeah, you call it Bastonac Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And finally, um, Rome. Um, have the fountains there been declared safe after the visit of <laughs> Feyenoord? Well, first of all, we should congratulate Azad Alkmaar. Uh, the Cheeseheads were trailing 2-0 to Anderlecht after the first leg of their Conference League quarterfinal. But uh, they'd leveled the scores after 13 minutes, uh, thanks to two goals by Evangelis Pavlidis. Um, they pressed forward, but couldn't manage to get a third goal. However, they did manage to prevail in the penalty shootout where the Australian World Cup goalkeeper Matthew Ryan was a hero he saved two penalties and they will now play West Ham United in the semi-final so well done to AZ yes it was a less happy night though for Feyenoord Seemed to be going well. They were playing Roma in Rome. Uh, Feyenoord fans were banned from the match uh, because of their yeah, unfortunate encounters with fountains last time they travelled. Um, they were two minutes away from a famous win in Rome after Igor Pachau headed them in front. But Paolo Dybala turned in an equaliser just before full time. And then in extra time, Feyenoord kind of fell apart. Uh, they conceded two more goals and Santiago Jimenez was sent off for a high kick. So no repeat of uh, European final for them. Uh, yet again, they'd lost to the same team that beat them in the Conference League final in Albania last year. But it does look as if they'll be able to console themselves with Champions League football next season because Feyenoord's march towards the Eredivisie title continued at the weekend with a 3-0 win at Ari Slot's former club, Cambuur, who themselves look doomed to relegation now. That keeps them eight points clear of Ajax and PSV, who play each other in Eindhoven on Sunday in what's basically now a contest for second place. Um, and Ajax had also some success, but this time off the pitch. 
Yeah, the Amsterdam Club went viral this week when they photoshopped a giant banner onto the side of a fictional pub in London. So, yeah, in a parallel universe, Amsterdamers are now uh, crashing uh, British pubs instead of yes. the other way around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is kind of virtual karma, I suppose, for, yeah. for all the Brits who've been wrecking Amsterdam for the last 30 years. But they, they weren't really trashing it. They were, they were more kind of actually decorating it with a giant celebratory banner to highlight the fact that um, uh, it's the favourite drinking den of uh, Ted Lasso in the hit US TV show of the same name, which I'm not familiar with, but apparently it's uh, very popular in America. And uh, Ted Lasso is basically an inexperienced American football manager who's catapulted into taking charge of AFC Richmond, which is a fictional team in the English Premier League. Ooh. And Ajax uh, noticed a number of similarities between themselves and Richmond, or as they put it on the poster, borrowing Ted's vernacular, did you know our clubs are pretty dang similar? Because they're both okay. called AFC, they both play in red and white, they both use 020 as their dialing code, because that's the code for London and Amsterdam. Neither of them is going to win the Eredivisie this season, and they've both had to sack their director of football for sending dick pics to his female colleagues. Oh no, hang on a second, that last one was just Ajax. <laughs> It just sounds like the the creators of this series just uh, used Ajax as an example and placed them in the in Basically, the Premier yeah. League, right? This is not this is not a coincidence. This is just uh, this is just a major source of inspiration. Perhaps, I think. yeah. Uh, but I never heard of this uh, uh, show as well, so uh, yeah, it's probably very funny if you know it. Yeah. But uh, I really didn't know what this this was about. I initially thought that Ted Lasso was just uh, yeah one of these uh, Dutch names that Molly likes to collect because of their ridiculousness. Yeah. But apparently, it was just a fictional character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With, although with a more plausible name, something like Teeny Cox. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and uh, we should just uh, uh, give a mention as well to one of the great names of Dutch football, uh, Arjen Robben, because yes. this week he managed to run 26 miles uh, without breaking anything, which is possibly a personal <laughs> record, but he also did break the yeah. three-hour barrier for the marathon yeah. in Rotterdam <laughs> at the weekend, which is kind of the watermark for amateur runners. So if you can run a marathon in less than three hours, you're, yeah, you can be pretty pleased with yourself. So well done to, uh, to Arjen there. Yeah, I think so too. I, I was in, in Rotterdam at the marathon and it was a very nice uh, atmosphere. It was, uh, it was really, uh, really gezellig. Yeah. The weather wasn't too great, but I think for the runners themselves, it was just perfect. And my sister ran the marathon in three hours and 22 minutes. That's pretty good. So that's pretty good. Well indeed. done. Yes. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we had a lovely experience. We had a plan of um, taking the, the metro to several places along the route and then uh, cheer her as she passed by. But yeah, as we should have expected, everyone in Rotterdam had the same plan. So uh, yes. the, <laughs> the, the metro was completely full. And uh, yeah, it took us uh, quite some time to travel from one place to the other. And instead of yeah. the planned eight times, we only saw her three times. So, uh. Oh, right. So, yeah. yeah. You should have um, taken uh, a leaf out of the book of the uh, Scottish ultra runner um, who was uh, disqualified this week for uh, running some of the race route by car. Did you hear this one? No, I didn't. But... That sounds like something Mr. Bean uh, would do. <laughs> yeah, uh, Josia Zakareski. She was running an 80-mile, but uh, a 50-mile race, sorry, an 80-kilometer race uh, from Manchester to Liverpool. But um, she was caught out when, uh, because uh, obviously the top runners these days, they all have trackers on them. Yeah. And somebody noticed that she covered one of the miles in uh, in less than two minutes, ah, which is, wow. uh, and uh, then she had That's to fess stupid. up and admit that she'd actually jumped in a car for yeah. part of the route. Uh, and she, she, she excused herself on the basis that she, she wasn't feeling very well before the race. Oh. Okay. So yeah, yeah. Then just don't start. Um, <laughs> yes. It's not even a professional athlete had the GPS tracker. My sister also had one. You could just follow her on the app to see where All she right. was. So yeah, yeah, everyone in Rotterdam had one. So she should have known better, I think. Yeah. 
that's uh, all that we have for you this week, at least for regular listeners. But uh, mm. Patreon listeners will have another episode, a uh, special episode coming out yeah, today, actually. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes, including uh, the, the link where you can buy the, the non-wine. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. You can also back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a free shout out on the podcast. My thanks to Gordon Derek, who is not here next week, but instead we uh, have uh, Sinead Bostas on the podcast. And the week after that, I'm not there. So uh, yeah, we will, uh, we, we will be back in two weeks time. My sister ran the marathon and I'm just looking up her uh, time right now because I'm sure Gordon, you want to know this. I do definitely want to know uh, this, yeah. Fuck, 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 <laughs> fuck, 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 where is it?